The Disability Law Show. Welcome to it once again. Reaching out simple, one 821 5900 is the way to do so. Email help at disabilityrights.ca if you take the help at off the top and just go disabilityrights.ca. That is the website. You can find past radio shows and the television show as well. So uh, dig in and enjoy that as well. We'll get to uh, mydisabilityquestions.com. Details on that. Pocket employment lawyer as well. But first, fellas, before we get to three things you must know about the deadline for appealing the denial of your LTD claim, James and Savan, uh, let's get to some, uh, some week that was. Savan, what do you got, pal? John, let me start off with a uh, question that was posted to our website, uh, mydisabilityquestions.com. And this one comes uh, from, uh, from Gary, and here's what he writes. He says, I've recently been diagnosed with Graves' disease, and I have a dilated aorta, getting medication for this, finding it difficult to manage my workday. I am 57, have managed a busy parts store, uh, same company, for 40 years. Would I be able to go on disability? Uh, we have LTD. Uh, but I'm not sure. My doctors cringe when I even mention it, but I'm getting worse. Any information is appreciated. James, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I I really want to understand what he means by his doctors cringe. Is he saying that his doctors are cringing at the notion of him continuing to work or on him applying for LTD? And if so, is it because they're aware of what the process looks like or they don't actually support um, his being off of work? Those are all questions I would really need to understand. But... It sounds as though um, this is a significant issue that's causing um, this gentleman issues in working and he's got the support of his doctors and assuming that that is true, then that's really the critical aspect. Do his doctors support that he is medically unable to continue working? And if they do, then really there is a legitimate basis for a claim and that is the extent of the analysis. Certainly, we would want to take a look at the clinical notes and records of his treating doctors and make sure that that support is in fact there. But if it is, uh, there is every reason to apply for long-term disability. You have to remember, long-term disability is something that you are paying into, and it's providing you with a safety net. And that is there for situations exactly like this, where you have a disability that is preventing you from being able to earn an income. And it may well be that you are technically able to show up to work and to be there for the hours you're supposed to be. But if you're not able to do it effectively and especially if going to work is in fact making your condition worse, especially if you're causing any permanent um, issues down the road, then you should not be working. If your doctors are telling you you shouldn't be working, you shouldn't be working. And that is exactly what long-term disability is there for. So yeah, absolutely, there is every reason to apply for disability benefits. And based on what he's saying, he should be approved. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. One thing that jumps out at me here is that he says he worked at the store for 40 years. He's 57 years old. So this gentleman has been there since he was 17. Uh, you know, And that tells me something, You know, because when somebody approaches us and uh, tells us that they've been denied long-term disability or they've been cut off long-term disability, we definitely go through the analysis of figuring out if the insurance company has a leg to stand on, if in fact the person should not have been cut off or denied. But part of that process is gauging uh, the, not just the medical documentation, but the credibility of the person. You know, if I see someone who is jumping between jobs, if I see somebody who, you know, has been off work for many, many years and, and then, you know, got a job for a year and now goes on disability, it doesn't mean that that person is not disabled legitimately. But contrast that with this gentleman here who's been working for 40 years at the same place. I mean, I believe him without even speaking with him. I believe him. 
And I agree with James. You know, the concern I have when I hear, and clients do tell us, people do tell us that sometimes their doctors are not that um, interested in getting involved in the process because, well, for, for two reasons. Number one, uh, sometimes they just don't want to fill out forms. I mean, you do have those kinds of doctors, in which case you need you know you need to fin- you know find somebody who's going to help you with that. Uh, but you know the second issue, which we're going to deal with down the road here on the show, is doctors uh, are confused by what is required uh, in terms of the test for long-term disability. Because remember, when you're applying for long-term disability, you have to show or demonstrate medically that you are quote unquote totally disabled. And it's not what many people think that means. You know, you say total disability, most people think it means you're in a coma or it means that you're brain dead or something catastrophic. That's not what that means. And again, we'll talk about why that term is what it is and what it means and all that kind of stuff. But suffice it to say that many doctors, and not just doctors, treatment practitioners, physiotherapists, psychologists, they are confused by that term. And they think that in order to say on the form that their client is unable to work and should get LTD, that their client has to be catastrophically impaired, and that's just not the case. Another issue is, of course, doctors are resistant to having to get involved in the insurance process at all. Certainly, people don't go to medical school with a vision of filling out insurance forms, um, and that's really not what doctors see their role as being. But in fact, that is a part of it, and it's, it's certainly not the part of it that they are going to enjoy the most, but it is really critical to their patients that they are active participants in the process. And to the extent that there is any mystery around this or any lack of information, that is also something that we are always a service we're always happy to provide for any medical professionals free of charge. So if you are out there and you are a medical practitioner, a doctor, a therapist, a counselor, and you have questions about the insurance process, the disability process, pick up the phone, give us a call. We're more than happy to talk for as long as you would like. There's no charge for it. We just want to make sure that you are getting the proper information to be able to help your patients. Fellas, we'll take a a quick break, get back into more of that, and, of course, the three things you must know about the deadline for appealing the denial of your LTD claim. That is important stuff. We will get to that in just a bit. In the meantime, to uh, get a hold of James or Savannah, a member of their team, 1-855-821-5900. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll get to a bunch of those as we roll on here. Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. Disability Law Show, we're right back at it. Reaching out, simple. Keep this number on you, 1-855-821. 5900 email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. Coming up here in just a bit, three things you must know about the deadline for appealing the denial of your LTD claim. That in a pile of your emails as well, so send them along and we'll uh, we'll get to a bunch of those. First, uh, Savannah, back into the other week that was yet another, uh, a couple more things actually you want to talk about. Yeah, John, we got, again, tons of people contacting us. Again, people need to understand we do this for a living. We help people who've been denied long-term disability claims or have been injured in an accident, we can help you get the compensation you're supposed to get. If you have a case, we'll tell you that. If you don't have a case, we'll tell you that too, but at least you'll know where you stand. So John, with that, let let me go uh, back to the website, mydisabilityquestions.com. Here's a question that was posted by Paula. Uh, Here's what she writes, and James, I'm going to throw this to you as well. This is interesting. She says, my husband has substantial mental illness, um, which was brought in by bullying in the workplace for over 10 years. He was recently approved for LTD, and the person who approved him at the insurance company was covering for another adjuster at the time. That other adjuster called today and asked him a few questions, her husband, 
and then said that she is denying her, his claim. We've already received the first payment. Can this be legal? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it can be legal. Um, whether or not there's a valid basis for it at the end of the day is still a valid question to ask. And the only way we can really answer that is by getting a full copy of the insurance file, which we can certainly do quite easily as soon as we bring a legal claim. In fact, as soon as you start that process, there is a process called the discovery process. I keep saying the word process. In the discovery process, the other side is required to give you everything that they have, every relevant document that pertains to the claim. So the insurer would have to, in this case, provide their entire claims file, which would include all of the medical documents they have and all of the log notes that the adjusters have uh, put into the file. Any internal communications between adjusters and other support staff would be in there as well, too. And so to the extent that there is any basis for having reversed the decision to approve benefits, we're going to see exactly how they came to that decision. And it sounds like there's not likely going to be a really valid reason for it, but until we see the file, we can't know for sure. All I can say is it's unusual to see that happen very quickly. The one thing, though, that in in this email that I bumped on a little bit is that the the mental stress and illness has come about as a result of bullying in the workplace. And so just so that our listeners understand, when you apply for long-term disability benefits, it's on the basis of a generalized disability, something that is present not just in your own work environment, but in any work environment. And that is why the test for disability isn't whether or not you can go back to your job. It's in fact whether or not you can go back to your occupation. In other words, Mm If you have a disability that prevents you from going back to your own specific employment, but you could do the exact same job with another employer, the insurer would be justified in not not extending benefits in that circumstance. It is there only if you have a disability that prevents you from working, not necessarily with your own employer. And so in that situation, insurance could an insurer could be justified, and it might be that they are they are taking the position. Uh, that this particular illness came about as a result of a specific issue in the workplace that wouldn't be present if this if this uh, if Paula's husband were to go start working at another employer. If that were the case, it still doesn't necessarily mean that they're correct, but that would be a basis that they might rationalize making the decision. Then it would be a matter of looking at the clinical notes and records of the treatment providers to see whether or not they agree whether or not they agree that this is not a generalized condition, that is something that's only specific to the workplace. If the treatment providers also agree, then perhaps the insurer is correct in this case, but I kind of doubt it. That's a lot of ifs that would have to line up in order for the insurer to be justified here. We won't know for sure until we get the insurance file and until we get the medical file, but it doesn't sound like there's a real valid basis for them to have reversed. So I I agree with everything you've said. The one thing that did... um uh, strike me is, is that, and it's something that we see, I think, quite often, not necessarily this starkly, but we do see it when we get uh, files, is insurance companies, and specifically the adjusters who are handling the claims, make a lot of mistakes. And they make mistakes because partly they're human and partly because they are overworked. Each one of them is handling a gazillion amount of files. Keep in mind also that they have deadlines, they have, uh, you know, certain criteria by which they can deny or approve claims, and, you know, a lot of times it's also a judgment call, depending on the adjuster that you're dealing with. 
And so, you know, when somebody comes to us or, or, you know, when somebody, yeah, when somebody approaches us and says, I've been denied a claim, uh, not necessarily in a case like this where it's a complete 180, but I've been denied a claim and I don't think I should have been denied. You know what? In many instances, we tell people when we review their documents, in fact, they have a case and we can, and when we get the insurance file, we find that the adjuster has screwed up along the way. Now, where that's helpful to the individual is that we know how to use that from a legal standpoint to pry the door open and force the insurance company to pay the individual what they're owed under the policy. And that's something that a regular person cannot do. They simply don't have the know-how, the legal know-how to do this. So this is important to understand. Insurance companies, when they deny your claim or when they do a 180 like this, don't assume that they are correct. Do exactly what Paula just did, which is contact us. We can evaluate the case, each case independently and individually, take a look at all the documents, and then tell you if, in fact, you have a leg to stand on in terms of going after the insurance company. And if you don't, we'll tell you that. We will tell you. We'll be honest with you. We're not going to take just any case, and we're not going to just tell you to start a legal claim when we don't think that you have a valid legal claim. But if you do, you will know that you do, and you will know what your options are, and on that basis, you can make a decision on how to proceed. Guys, we'll keep rolling here after a, a quick one, a quick break. one 855 is the number anytime. The website, disabilityrights.ca. Lots more on the way. This is the Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. The Disability Law Show, that's what it is. You know how to reach out by now, toll free. Of course, one 855 Email help at disabilityrights.ca. Just that simple. All right, guys, the three things you must know about the deadline for appealing the denial of your LTD claim. Number one, appeal deadlines are set by LTD insurers and they're arbitrary. They're set by the insurer and have no legal consequences whatsoever. What does that mean? So what that means is that when you get that letter or that email from your adjuster, your insurance company saying your your long-term disability claim has been denied uh, and, and you know they'll give you all the reasons and then at the end of the letter, you're going to have a paragraph or two that talk about your right to appeal that decision. Uh, they give you usually about 30 days that date is arbitrary. You can, you can, you know, if you wanted to appeal, we're going to get into why you should not appeal, but if you wanted to appeal, trust me, if you send them documents two months later, three months, six months later, there would not be a problem. Uh, they would still evaluate that, or so they will tell you that they, that they do, and will probably reject you again, which is, again, why it is that you should not be appealing. But these deadlines that they set for you are arbitrary. Uh, they are there to force you into a corner, to force you to make a decision as to whether or not uh, you want to appeal or not. And so we're going to talk about why it is that you should not appeal. But remember and understand that 30-day deadline is absolutely meaningless. Okay, number two. I mean, you, you you started to allude to it there. They're designed to control you, right, by forcing you to make a decision. You either appeal or you just walk away and abandon your claim. Yeah, so this is basic marketing psychology here. When you're trying to sell something, you want to incite your audience to act now. So this is why you have this, you know, you must appeal within 30 days. If they just said, okay, well, you have the option to appeal, well, then you get around to it when you get around to it. But if they tell you, you have a deadline, well, that gets your mind working on it. And because people who are receiving this letter are invariably going to be distressed, they're going to be um, you know, quite upset in, in most cases because this is the safety net they've been relying on, they're going to be looking for some light at the end of the tunnel. And this is where the insurance company is feeding it to them. They're saying, okay, well, we know that we're not giving you what you want, but here we're giving you this possibility that it might come through but you only have these 30 days to do it. So you better act now. 
Why are they doing that? Well, you might think that they don't want you to appeal because they'd rather that you just walk away. And that's probably true. They would much prefer that everyone just accept what they have to say and walk away. But they know that if they don't give you an outlet to challenge their decision, that people are going to go talk to a lawyer. And that is the one thing they do not want you to do. And why is that? Well, it's quite simple. As long as you either walk away or appeal, they, complete, they being the insurance company, completely control the process. There is nobody else that has any power to make them do anything until you bring a legal claim. Once you bring a legal claim, the control over the process is taken away from the insurance company, and now they have to act reasonably. They have to actually abide by what is in the policy. They have to consider your claim fairly. Until you do that, they can make whatever decision they want, and there's no consequence to it. So the reason why they're inciting you to act now is simply to confuse you and to get you to make a decision to continue to go within their own process that they completely control. The three things you must know about the deadline for appealing the denial of your LTD claim, number three, is this. Uh, they're used to confuse you, make you think that you're appealing to, you know, a neutral third party or to someone at the insurance company who will look at your claim objectively with fresh eyes, right? And, and exactly, that's that's what most people think, John. They think that they're appealing to, you know, some higher power here. They, they think that there is, you know, a, not just another department, a completely different entity that's going to make a decision. No, the reality is you're going to uh, be appealing to that same insurance company, the same entity, likely the same group of people who made the decision in the first place to deny your claim or to cut off your benefits. So no, you're not going to get a fair shake. And this goes back into point number two that James was talking about. It's used to control you. And you know, John, I've had quite a few people contact me after they've gone through the appeal process telling me, you know, they've heard us talk about it, but they didn't believe it. They simply wanted to try and do it on their own. And what they find out is that they end up wasting a lot of time, literally months and months and months. And here's the other thing to consider. When you appeal that decision and then you end up getting a denial, guess what? That denial letter, that also contains language about another appeal. And so I have people coming to me and saying, you know, I've appealed now once, twice, three times. I've been denied all along. This happened a year ago, two years ago. And you have to be very careful because if you pass that two-year deadline from when you were first denied, your chances of going after them legally Uh, reduces significantly, meaning there's a two-year limitation period for starting legal actions in Ontario. So you have to be extremely careful with that. So again, understand, if you are appealing, you're not appealing to a neutral third party. You're appealing to the same people who denied you in the first place. I I think the really important thing to understand, though, is that there is no formality to the process. It is not written out Mm -hmm. anywhere. There's no law that applies that forces an insurance company to undertake any kind of fairness in their process for an appeal. None. And there is nothing in virtually any policy I've ever seen that sets out the appeal process. It is completely arbitrary. The rules are entirely set up by the insurance company. And guess what? It's rigged against you. Don't do it. You're just giving them control. Take it away from them. You give us a call. We start a legal claim. That and some emails coming up here. We'll get to uh, more talking points. And uh, if you want to uh, call the guys anytime when we're not on the air, that's easy. one 821 5900 The website is disabilityrights.ca. You can listen to past radio shows and catch the TV show there as well. And emails help at disabilityrights.ca to, uh, to move on. So Disability Law Show continues. Global News Radio. Disability Law Show, right back at it to, uh, to reach out to the guys. one 821 5900 Want to get into this as well. This is 
is uh, important stuff. If you haven't checked it out yet, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, as the title says, has a lot to do with employment law. Uh, but there's also a section on disability law, Savam. Uh, it's free. It's anonymous. There's a contact button at the top right if you can want to uh, carry on and talk to uh, James or Savannah about something. If not, it's completely anonymous and free. But uh, but tell me a little more about it and carry on with your uh, your week that was, pal. Okay, John. Well, I mean, you pretty much uh, gave the highlights, which is great. It, it's a completely new website we've created, and it's been used thousands of times since it was launched a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, it, it, so it's not only a resource for employees who have issues with their employment, because remember, we do employment law at the firm as well, not just disability law. But it also has a section there uh, that can give you accurate answers about your disability situation. So all that uh, website is, the purpose of it is to provide you with, with a starting point for an analysis of your case, whether you have an employment issue or a disability issue or both. You know, most people, John, when they have any problem, it could be a legal problem, a medical problem, any problem, you go to Google and you Google the information. The problem is that there is so much bad information, you know, fake information, wrong information, misleading information on the web, you don't know where to start. And that's the reason for why we created this particular website. And again, it's free, it's anonymous, it'll take you literally seconds uh, to, to use. And once you click on a few menus, and select the options that are applicable to your specific case, your situation, you'll get an analysis. It's free, an analysis of your case, an analysis as to whether or not you have any legal rights, any legal entitlements, meaning any money that's potentially owed to you, and then you can choose to act on it or not to act on it. If you want to contact us afterwards, just click the button, and then you know we get the information and we contact you. If you don't, that's fine. Close the browser. But the point is the pocket employment lawyer is a new tool. It's revolutionary. I can tell you there's been a lot of buzz in the legal industry about it uh, because it does do something that nothing else does, which is to give right. people free information that's accurate about their employment or disability situation. Again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, even if it's just for a passing glance or just to hang around for a while, see what it can do, go for it. Go for it. Check it out free of charge, and you can contact uh, the guys afterwards if you want to. Okay, continue on. What else do you want to talk about, pal? Okay, here's another email that uh, or question that was posted yep. on our website, mydisabilityquestions.com. James, again, I'll throw this at you, see uh, what, what you think about it. Mm-hmm. This one comes from Catherine. She writes, I'm currently receiving long-term disability uh, and have been for about four-plus years. Recently, the insurance company has verbally stated that I'm being cut off effective February 1st during a phone call that happened on December 19th. Legally, shouldn't I receive this in writing? So, yes, you should receive it in writing, and I expect you will reasonably soon. But what I would do in this situation is the same thing that I tell all of my clients to do and anybody who calls for advice. Anytime that you are having any conversation with your insurance company, and especially with your adjuster, before you start talking, just pause and say, can I just grab a pad of paper and a pen and take notes of everything that is said during the conversation. When the conversation is over, you send an email to your adjuster summarizing the substance of everything that is said. You don't have to take verbatim notes, and it would be very difficult to engage in a conversation when you're trying to get precisely the wording that everyone has said. But you want to make sure that you're getting the substance of what you are saying and what the adjuster is saying, and that there is a record that is sent to the adjuster that captures that entire conversation. The reason for that is so that nobody down the road can say that the conversation didn't happen as you've set out. If the adjuster, when they receive this, take issue with anything that you've said, well, it's on them to correct you then and there. If they deny your claim and then 
four or five months down the road within the legal process, they say, oh, no, I never said that. Well, they got an email from you five, six months ago and you never corrected it at the time. No one's going to buy that. No one's going to believe that that conversation didn't happen, especially if you've documented it. So you want to make sure that you document in this case that the adjuster has said that they're cutting you off and document the reasons why the adjuster had said that they were doing it. But yes, you're quite right. I mean, certainly the insurance company is required to provide you that notice in writing because that is in fact what triggers your ability to be able to bring a claim. I would argue that at this point, you're probably able to bring a claim anyway because they've given you um, notice verbally and that you can rely on that if they've told you that they're gonna cut you off. But I would put that in an email just to make sure and wait a day or two before starting a claim. But at that point, I would be comfortable as a lawyer, I would be comfortable bringing the claim even if you haven't gotten the formal um, denial in writing. I agree 100%. The only thing that struck me here, in addition to what James talked about, is that uh, this person wrote that uh, this happened on a phone call on December 19th. And this question was posted to a website on January 9th. That's about almost three weeks later. What I would urge people is that as soon as you have an inkling that your benefits will be cut off, and, and you know, if you're getting benefits, you're going to be told in advance. Sometimes it's a few weeks in advance. Sometimes it's a few months. I've seen it as far as a year in advance. Give us a call immediately. There is no reason to wait. Remember, we're not telling you to take any action once we speak with you. We're just outlining the scenarios for you and giving you the information you need to make a decision. There is literally no reason, there's no cost to talking to us, no reason to get this information immediately when, you, when you're told by the insurance company that your benefits will be cut off and you know that they should not be getting cut off. You know, a lot of times people are hesitant to, to call, even though we say that there's no right. cost to it. They think that, well, maybe there's some hidden cost or if I call, I'm going to be required to sign up. Not at all. You want to call and just get information that's entirely fine. No one is going to expect you to do anything more than that. If you would like to go further in the process, we will sit down and talk about what is involved in that so you will understand exactly what lies ahead before you make any decisions. But just calling is about getting information, making sure that you are informed to make the proper decisions going forward, and there is absolutely no cost to you whatsoever. I cannot put it more clearly than that. Want to get into some emails after a short break, guys, to send one over. Monica just did, and you can as well. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number as well, we guys talk about toll-free, 1-855-821-5900. We'll get to that and lots more as we continue the Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. The Disability Law Show, we're back at it. Guys, phone call anytime, 1-855-821-5900 to get a hold of the, the fellas or uh, the rest of the team at the firm, 1-855-821-5900 is the way to go. Email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. Monica, you're up first. Monica writes and says, guys, a close friend of mine is getting long-term disability. And his adjuster keeps telling him that he will not get any benefits after he reaches two years because he'll need to find other work at that point. My friend's in his early 40s. He's a teacher. He suffers from mental health issues which run in his family, and he gets medication for it. He can't be around kids and rarely comes out of his house now. 
Every time he speaks with his adjuster, he gets more and more depressed and anxious, and I simply don't know what to do about that. He's supposed to be cut off benefits mid-January, so pretty soon. Uh, his psychiatrist says that he's in a, in a state, uh, in no state to work at any job at this point, and I'm just wondering if you guys can help him. We, we absolutely can help him if his psychiatrist is saying that he can't work, not just in his job as a teacher, which seems obvious if he can't be around kids, but in fact in any job, then certainly he's going to be entitled to receive benefits under virtually any policy that I've ever seen. One thing that we need to uh, make sure that our listeners understand is something called the change of definition. So let's talk about that for a moment because it applies to Monica's email here. When you apply for long-term disability, during the first two years that you're eligible to receive your benefits, the test for whether or not you in fact receive those benefits is whether or not you have a disability that prevents you from doing your own occupation. So during the first two years, can you go back to the occupation that you had when you became disabled? After two years, the definition changes and the test becomes whether or not you're able to do any occupation that you're qualified for by training, education, or experience. Now, there's a little bit more to it than that, but the test does in fact become tougher after two years and in fact an insurance company will often be justified at the two-year mark in cutting some people off. But when we're talking about someone who is suffering from a mental illness, a mental disability, very often that is going to be the type of thing that is going to be with you no matter where you are. And very few people that have reasonably severe mental disabilities are going to be able to function in a full-time regular work environment where they're expected to show up five days a week and work an eight-hour shift. That's just not something that's realistic if you're dealing with significant depression or anxiety. Now, that's not always going to be the case, but that is far more likely to be the case for someone suffering from a mental health issue than it is for someone who's suffering from a physical issue. If you have a physical issue, yes, you may well not be able to do the occupation you had when you became disabled, but there are people with physical disabilities that are able to work in all kinds of different jobs. Now, I'm not saying if you have a mental health issue that you cannot work, but if it's severe enough to prevent you from doing your own job, it's very frequently going to be the case that that will apply across the board. So, Monica, the answer is yes, we can almost certainly help your friend, and if your friend indeed has the support of his psychiatrist, as you've mentioned, then he should be entitled to continue receiving benefits well after the two-year mark until he's medically fit to return to work or he turns 65. Um, John, just a couple of things that I want to yeah. mention here. Number one, a shout out to Monica for the fact that she's taken this action to contact us on behalf of a friend. And I want to mention this to everyone who's listening. This may not be applicable to you. You may just be listening or tuning in, uh, you know, and, and you've heard us talk now for a few minutes. If you know someone who is dealing with a long-term disability insurer or who's someone who's been in, in an accident and has been injured, uh, please, please direct them to us so that we can actually give them the information they need uh, to determine what, what their next course of action should be. Uh, very, very important. There are a lot of people out there. You know, most people, John, that contact us are, are people who have not necessarily heard us directly through TV or radio. Uh, it, it's through family members and friends, just like Monica, who have, uh, you know, told their friends about us and put them in touch with us. So spread the message. That's the point. It's information that's very valuable. Uh, the, the, the second thing that I wanted to mention here is that we have a lot of experience dealing with teachers. And, you know, teachers are unionized employees. And we yeah. do find that in many instances where you have a unionized employee, uh, in many cases, we can still help them with the long-term disability claims. And I mention that 
because uh, there are some individuals who their first point of contact when they're dealing with an insurance company and they're unionized is to go to their union. And the problem is that in many instances, these unionized uh, uh, employees are not getting the right advice or no advice whatsoever. And so, you know, we can tell you very quickly if we can help you. I mean, we've dealt with quite a lot of teachers and just unionized employees in general uh, with respect to long-term disability claims. Please give us a call. Speak to your union if you want, but they don't have the expertise to deal with these kinds of issues. It's just not something that they deal with. They deal with the employment contracts, not with long-term disability, which is a completely different area uh, of, of, of law. The other thing that I wanted to touch on in Monica's email is she mentions that her friend is getting depressed and anxious every time she speaks with her adjuster. That being the case, I don't know whether or not there's a larger issue here, whether the adjuster is acting inappropriately, aggressively, maybe even going so far as to be bullying. If that is the case, if there's something specifically about how the adjuster is dealing with Monica's friend, as opposed to it's just a matter of her friend gets anxious or depressed anytime they have to deal with it. If there's an issue with the adjuster, you should absolutely put that issue in writing and request that a new adjuster be assigned. Now, again, I'm not sure if the adjuster is doing something inappropriate, but if they are, request a new adjuster in writing. Make sure that you detail why you're making the request and what the impact of the adjuster's behavior is on your condition. Guys, lots more uh, information to give out, emails as well. Thank you, Monica. I know you've obviously got the email address. That's how you contacted us. But the phone number for uh, for you and everyone else, one 821 and help at disabilityrights.ca. Right back at it. More of the Disability Law Show is straight ahead on Global News Radio. Disability Law Show right back at her, one 821 help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address. The website is simply disabilityrights.ca. Past radio shows, TV shows can be found there as well. Lots of information. And, of course, to reach out and contact from the website is no problem as well. question that you guys uh, quite often get is this. When you're retained on behalf of a person against their insurance company, and you kind of alluded to this in, in the previous segment there with uh, with Monica, James, is the insurance company allowed to contact your client directly once, once you guys have been retained? The answer is absolutely not. Nice. Absolutely not. They're not allowed. Uh, and that's that's important to understand for two reasons. Number one, uh, you know, one of the biggest issues that that you know we hear from from individuals dealing with insurance companies, particularly in in the context of a mental health illness uh, with long term disability, is that they feel like they are being victimized by the insurance company. That the insurance company is asking them all these questions, probing them. You know, they're under a microscope, and and here they are trying to deal with whatever issue they're dealing with. Not just mental health illness; it can be you know an injury of some sort that is taking a toll. Uh, and, and so, you know, John, when I meet with individuals face-to-face, and, and you know, sometimes it would be meetings for half an hour, an hour, whatever it is, oftentimes what I find is that by the time we finish talking, what they've taken away from the conversation is that once I get involved, they're never going to hear from that adjuster again. No more phone calls, no more emails, no more, you know, letters, nothing. Everything has to come through us. And what that does is, first of all, it alleviates all that stress from the individual and their family. And number two, it allows them to focus on getting better. Because isn't that the whole point here? That's the whole point of long-term disability, to give you that safety net to allow you to focus on your health. That's what your doctors want for you. That's what you want for you. That's what your family wants for you. So that's one of the things that, that you know we, we, we really emphasize. Once we get involved, once we represent you, the insurance company cannot touch you, they cannot speak with you, they cannot communicate with you whatsoever. 
The other point I wanted to make is that I have had individuals who have retained other lawyers where those other lawyers who many of them don't have expertise in this area, despite being retained to represent the individual, have allowed the adjuster to continue communicating with the individual. That is a huge no-no. It is absolutely inappropriate and should never, ever happen. Uh, And by the way, adjusters know that, but if you have a lawyer representing you that doesn't know what he or she is doing, well, guess what? The adjuster and the insurance company are going to take advantage of that. You know, that's their prerogative. So you want to make sure, obviously, that you retain the right person, the right firm. Whoever you retain is really, you know, your 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 uh, uh, field of protection. They're the ones who are now going to be communicating with the insurance company and not just defending you, but uh, going after the insurance company to make sure that the insurance company pays you exactly what you're owed without having all that stress on your shoulders. Email address is uh, where we're going to go, and I know you got some more week that was you want to talk about, uh, Savannah, but uh, Sylvia just chimed in, says, uh, my daughter has bipolar disorder as well as a major depressive disorder. She's been seeing a psych- uh, psychologist for over three years, and after the death of a childhood friend of hers last year, she got much worse. She applied for and got LTD, long-term disability, and six months later she was cut off because the adjuster said that she wasn't complying with her treatments. It's not true. Her psychologist says that she was. The psychologist has tried to write the adjuster directly several times to say that my daughter was doing everything she's supposed to, but because she missed a few treatment sessions, she was too ill to get out of bed. So she's got a, a good excuse, right? Her, uh, her psychologist said that this was normal for her condition. Can you help her? Absolutely. So just so our listeners understand, when you are applying for and, in fact, receiving long-term disability benefits, you have certain obligations yourself. You have to be compliant with any reasonably any reasonable recommended treatment. So if they are suggesting to you that you should be getting treatment by a psychiatrist, for example, then you have to go and get regular treatment from a psychiatrist. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if you miss a single session, all of a sudden the law is going to say, oh, well, you're non-compliant and therefore you're not entitled to receive your benefits. Even if you didn't have a valid reason for missing a single appointment, I very much doubt that an insurer would be successful in trying to justify with the court that they cut you off because of one single missed session. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should just miss sessions even if it's just one. But if you have a valid reason for it, if you're too ill to get out of bed, if in fact going to the treatment would cause you further distress or make your condition worse than not going, then obviously it's not reasonable to attend on that particular day. And so if you're too ill to get out of bed, then there's no basis for the insurer to cut you off in in that case. And in fact, her psychiatrist has written, or sorry, psychologist has written to the insurer saying exactly that, telling them that no, you know, she has been compliant and it's just a matter of not being able to get out of bed on those particular days, but she's getting the treatment that she needs. So there is no valid basis here. Having done what they're doing here and having gotten that letter from the psychologist, the insurer has opened themselves up to punitive damages, which means the possibility that they're going to have to pay not just what they owe under the policy, but additional money as punishment for the way that they've treated Sylvia's daughter. You know, John, insurance companies have uh, you know a, a whole um, bag of, of excuses for why they would deny uh, claims and, and cut people off. And sometimes they'll throw one excuse at you, and sometimes they'll throw two or three or four. I've seen one, uh, one letter, one denial letter, where they've cited no less than 12 reasons why they thought the individual should not be getting long-term disability. He was cut off, and he was suffering from a mental health illness. 
uh, he he was he was a high income earner. He w- he was earning uh, you know six figures, and you know w- w- what I can tell you, John, is that despite the fact that they denied his claim, within several months after getting involved, we resolved that case. I can't share the exact number, but I can tell you it was within the mid six figure settlement. So you're talking about a situation where the insurance company said initially we're paying you nothing, to coming back and writing a check for a whole whack of money because they understood that they had significant exposure if this ever went to court. Guys, that'll do it for another show. In the meantime, you want to reach out, contact James or Savannah Simple, 1-855-821-5900. If you haven't used it yet to ask some questions when we're not uh, answering emails or otherwise, mydisabilityquestions.com. Email, the email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. You want to listen to past radio shows, catch a TV show as well. It's pretty cool if you haven't seen it. That is disabilityrights.ca. And there is a section inside the Pocket Employment Lawyer website, Pocket Employment Lawyer say that deals with disability so check that out as well all kinds of resources for you we will catch you next time on the disability law show on global news radio